0: If you like if you want to be Christian, then you want to be part of Christianity, there's absolutely space for you and the fullness of your queerness and your gender and your body and your sexuality. And also, like, if it's not life-giving, if it's hurtful, if it just doesn't resonate with you, like that's also okay. Like you don't have to stay to prove a point. You don't have to stay to escape hell.
1: That was Brian G. Murphy, one of the co-founders of queertheology.com. In this episode, I'm speaking to both of the founders of QueerTheology.com, which is a website chock full of resources for queer Christians, queer ex-Christians, allies to queer Christians, about what it means to be queer and a spiritual person. You'll hear more about some of their works that they do, including webinars and uh, books, etc. You'll also hear more about the Sanctuary Collective, which is a Slack community that is really dedicated to, on their website, they say seekers and doubters and used to be Christians about what it means to be LGBTQ plus and a spiritual seeker. Here are some very abbreviated introductions to both of them, and you can learn a lot more about them on the website. Father Shannon T.L. Kearns is a graduate of the Union Theological Seminary and the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. His first book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, was just released from Erdman's Books. Brian G. Murphy is an activist, educator, and certified relationship coach who studied film production and religion at the University of Southern California. He spent time in Hollywood working on a number of television projects before turning to activism. Brian is a co founder of Relationship, a relationship coaching practice helping LGBTQ and polyamorous people build thriving relationships on their own terms. Brian and Shannon, thank you so much for joining me.
0: It's great to be here. Thanks it's for our having pleasure us. To be here.
1: So, um, this is my first. double episode where I'm interviewing two people at the same time. So we're going to play with some things and see what happens. What I was thinking about is I would like for you to tell us about queer theology, and then we'll go way back in the past. I want to know about your journeys to get to this point and why this is such an important project for you. But first of all, like, what are you doing right now? Catch people up.
2: Yeah. So we started, uh, queertheology.com coming up on 10 years ago. We're, we're coming up on our 10th anniversary. Um, really because at, at the time the conversation in LGBTQ plus Christian spaces, uh, was really centered on, is it okay to be gay? Uh, and we were tired of that conversation and we thought, you know, there's so much more to being queer and trans than, then defending our right to exist uh, and that we actually have really unique and beautiful insights to bring to Christianity and the Bible and the church um and we also knew that queer theology like as an academic discipline existed and has existed for a really long time um but often it was really inaccessible for folks and so we wanted to make the beauty of the academic accessible to folks who were not interested in academia and also also to take, yes, of course, it's okay to be LGBTQ plus and Christian as a starting point and push into what might be possible beyond that. Um, and so we have a website, we have a podcast that's been going for uh, eight or nine years now. Um, we've got courses and resources, a uh, book, ebooks, uh, just a ton of stuff um, that are all about integrating sexuality, gender identity, and Christianity.
1: Cool. we're going to get into a little bit later how the community and the resources that you've established are sex positive, polyamory positive, and a lot of things that you don't find in other, even LGBTQ affirming Christian spaces. Um, So that's coming. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: We have gotten a lot of flack for that over the years.
1: I bet. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you standing your ground. So Let's go back. Like normally I, I ask folks, you know, to tell about spiritual roots, et cetera. But um there's so much to talk about between the two of you. I want to start in a slightly different place. Do you have a moment um in time or whatever this sparks when you realize that like your queerness was divine was going to be a huge part of your relationship with the divine?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I um I started to realize that i was like attracted to guys in middle school um and like into high school and it started like very visually like um or that was the first thing i realized like looking back on it i'm like oh i had crushes when i was like six or seven i just didn't like realize what was happening but in middle school um i started realizing like oh i was like Lingering in the underwear section a little bit longer and sort of like looking at the models on the packages or like finding myself like really like interested in like sh- the shirtless scenes in TV shows and movies with guys. Um, and even when I started looking at porn, I was like, well, of course I'm going to look at straight porn. But over the t- over time, I like found myself like paying more attention to like pictures because I'm like 37 and it was like videos hard to come by in like 1998 on the internet. Um, like pictures with guys in them, or like multiple guys in them. And that was sort of like these clicking points. And so um, at some point I realized like, oh, this is gay. And so I had this like very sort of like um transactional understanding of like gayness or queerness that it was like, gayness is this thing that I do. I like look at these pictures, I look at these videos, I like think these thoughts, I um you know, rip out the pages in like the magazine <laughs> of the bathing suit models, whatever. Um, and so if that's being gay that's like something that i can like do or not do um and then in 11th grade um this like floppy haired uh like boy from georgia moves to our high school um and i've like quickly became like best friends with him and uh, at some point like partway through junior year i was like oh i'm in love like i i like love this person i like Like, not do I want to have sex with him? I mean, like, I probably (laughs) would have, but it's like, I want to, like, there's a physical component to it of like, I want to hold your hand and I want to kiss you and I want to cuddle with you. Um, but also, like, I want to, like, see you fully and have you, like, see me and have you, like, know me and to know you and to support you. Um, and that's not something that I can, like, do or not do. And also, like, this longing for closeness and connection and for support and understanding, like, like how I, like I could I maybe could sort of like believe that someone was telling me that like, you know, gay sex was sinful or something, but like this sort of like feeling between us, um, I was like, oh, this is like, I can't turn this off and I wouldn't want to turn this off. And like this, like this has to be good. And I think that it took me a while to get there, but what I've appreciated is like now, you know i've been out for 16 years now probably like i can see like not just like those like loving feelings as being good and holy but also i think that like the sex part and the physical stuff and all the things that like some christian folks like tell people they should be ashamed of like that also is like holy and sacred too um and that like came later for me and i think also that is why shay and i are so passionate about speaking out about not just like it's okay to be like gay and you can get like monogamously married and have 2.5 kids in the suburbs it's like no like one night stands can also be holy and like masturbation can be holy um and kink can be holy um because i think like some people come to that but they keep it to themselves because it's like i don't know they don't want to be shamed for it understandably and so at some point we were just like fuck it we're going to like we're just going to like say the things because like this is really like this is really beautiful and i don't want people to feel like only the romantic parts about queerness are the holy parts that i think like the sex and the sweat is also holy too
2: and i think uh, along with that to to continue on that 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 is also a part of our queer and trans history and legacy right the holiness yeah. of connecting in that way and with one another and so to tell people that you can't be connected to your community um is really harmful and and in my mind like anti the gospel and anti all of the other things um which isn't to say that like for folks who don't desire that right like I'm monogamously married not into kink like that's just not my jam I'm an introvert in a homebody and Brian will say hey, I don't like people very much um (laughs) and also like i am fully in support of kink and polyamory and all of the those aspects of our community and like that's important to me not just as a person and a queer person but also as a priest that like we hold space for those folks and also that we hold space for the folks who aren't interested in that um or who aren't are on a journey to figuring out if they might be interested in that, but have a lot of shame and trauma to unpack um, on that journey. Like all, all facets of that are really important.
1: Totally. Okay. One thing I forgot to ask, I'm really curious, how did you two meet? I mean, because I get the sense that, I mean, to be able to do this with like an amazing, I I don't know. I sort of think of you as soulmates being able to do this work together. (laughs) So how did that come about?
0: It's funny if you ask that because this is like, now it's become a shtick at this point, but I, so Shay and I have different memories of our first time meeting. <laughs> so I don't remember the first time we met, Um, but my first, we actually, it was my apartment, apparently he can tell this that story. But my first sort of like memory of, of Shay is we had like a good, a good mutual friend in common. And he invited me to go with him to go see Shay preach, um, when Shay was working at Judson Memorial Church in New York City. And he was preaching on Ezekiel and the dry bones. And like the way that he took apart and put back together that passage was like nothing I had ever heard before. And I've gone to like a lot of church services and a lot of times you hear people like pastors or priests sort of like telling stories that like, they've heard and like about a friend or like you you can kind of tell this is sort of like their take on someone else's take on something else's take like like that they read in a book. And this was just like brand new never before. I was like, I'm watching like new theology being created in front of my eyes. Like this is incredible. (laughs) I'm like amazing. I want to know this human. And I also like want more of this, um, in my life. And we actually, like, like I don't know, like exchanged numbers or email addresses or something and hung out a few more times, like through our mutual friend in the city. And then at some point she moved to Minneapolis, but we just kept in touch um, over the years and, and sort of like developed a friendship long distance. And then at some point decided to start doing this work together.
2: Yeah. And I think as our conversations progressed over, over the years from like when we met to when we actually started queertheology.com that uh, there was probably I don't know, a good four years in there. Um, You know, we were having conversations about queerness, about our identities, about church, about activism, about what we were seeing, about conversations that were happening online. I mean, this was, you know, when blogs were still a thing and they were like a really big thing at that time. And, And we were just kind of continually realizing that the conversations we were having that were giving such life to us, And the conversations that we were having with other folks were not the conversations that were happening on platforms and at conferences. And we thought like, man, people are missing out on this. And 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 the conversations that are happening on platforms are still really reactive, right? It's it's mm-hmm. conv- trying to convince people to let us back into their evangelical churches, trying to convince people that like we could read the Bible in the same way that they do, and we were like, no, like this this is not actually helpful or good for us or for our community, and so we want to we want to go in a different direction. And I and I think that the reason that we've been able to do this for so long is because we're friends and because we. Uh, our working relationship is really grounded in a deep love for one another and a respect for one another um, and a, and a supporting of each other's journeys. And it's, it's been a real gift to do this work Uh, and to be able to do this work together. Right. I think it would have been really, really difficult to do alone.
0: Yeah. And at at the time that we started, we'd been out, we each been out for, you know, a significant amount of time. Shay was working at a church, uh, like pursuing ordination. I was involved in some activist groups, um in new york city and so and also like both were like involved in other queer christian organizations and it just sort of felt like there was like this thing that was like like swelling up inside of us and like it was like we put off like starting our own thing for so long like maybe we can get involved with someone else um and learning and then eventually it was like no like this we had we'd been around the block enough to recognize that like this is like a unique need that we like are really seeing and we've got like a, a message to share. And so I guess like, let's go but like, let's figure out how we can continue to serve our community.
1: I love that. I, uh, so I have a blog that I, I really stopped updating because I feel like I outgrew it. Um But scarletchurch.com, which is a, like the subtitle of church of the scarlet letter. I had this idea mm. a long time ago about forming a community of people who have been ostracized for something about their sexuality or their bodies Um, and I ended up just, like, blogging my own journey, like, you know, when we talk about being out, like, I mean, you come out as queer, you come out as something to do with, like, your gender, you come out as something to do with your sexual, like, style, you know, I feel like there's Mm -hmm. so many different coming outs, and then there's a coming out in general, and then there's a coming out in the church, which is very (laughs) different, um, or can be very different, and when I would talk to people about my blog, you know, especially people I met at conferences, the first question they would ask is like, is there community around it? You know, and and mm-hmm. I'd have to say no, because I don't feel like that's, I can't, I can't do that work too. But what was so hard is like, there are communities, there are queer affirming Christian communities out there. I could potentially refer you to, but I don't know if they're kink positive. I don't know if they're going to shame you for x y or z and so it's like how do you know that the community you're going to send somebody into is going to be safe for them or if it's going to end up being just as harming so it seems like that's part of the work that you've done together is to create a space that intentionally does that
0: yeah i mean we've been talking about purity culture and sex positivity since like i mean since we since we started in like 2000. Nine, eight, eight, uh, 12. I don't know what what is math, probably like to the 12, 13. Um, And that just like always felt like really important. And, you know, we would be on the Facebook Live didn't even exist yet, I don't think, but we'd be on sort of like a Google Hangout or like a webinar of some sort. And I would talk about like being kinky or being polyamorous or being slutty. And people would be like, oh my God, this is the first time I've heard. Like a Christian in public, say this out loud, and so I was like, "Well, now I have to say it. Now I have to say it even more and even more often uh, and even louder." And you know, like we got some like pushback for that. It was like, "You're making gays look bad. You know, this isn't like going to help our our rights. Like, it is hard enough to get people to accept us. Like, why can't you just sort of like be quiet and blend in?" And we're like. No, like like no <laughs> because that's like that's, that doesn't help anyway doesn't help i don't i really don't believe that the path to liberation is like respectively politics like don't work and also like straight people have something to learn from queerness and um like people who aren't slutty have something to learn from people who are slutty um that like we we need all of these perspectives um and i remember in 2018 i came out with a video called jesus is polyamorous and like obviously that pissed off a lot of conservative Christians, but I also got like a lot of blowback from like people who would describe themselves as progressive Christians, LGBTQ Christians. Mm. It was like a nasty you know, week. Um, so it was like in between the, the like the death threats from like you know, Trad Catholics, there was also like queer people heaping like bullshit onto me. Um, and so like, it, yeah, it's, but, but I've also been like really heartened to see, since then you know like maybe like a year or so ago the reformation project came out which is a large lgbtq christian organization like they ca- like they made a post about how they only support monogamy um mm-hmm. and i was just like i was really heartened to see how different the response in just three years was like mm-hmm. from when i made that first video to now that like the conversation around christianity and polyamory has really changed a lot and i think like if it Means that I got death threats for a week. Like in 2018, I would be happy to. Like I would do. I would do it again. You know.
2: And I think that that pushback against respectability politics has been, man, I, one of our number one like hills we are willing to die on yeah. from the very beginning because so many of the organizations are really centered on respectability politics and are centered on. Centering the voices and perspectives of evangelical Christians instead of saying, like, that is a very small minority of people who read the Bible, for instance, in a specific way. And like, we not only don't have to answer to that, but like, scholars and denominations of huge, huge numbers have never read the Bible in that way. Um, and also that like, this idea, that if we just behave we'll get our rights is proven false by like every liberation movement ever in the history of ever and so the fact that like we think we're somehow going to be different and i think that that's really often tied into these organizations many times are led by cis white men right and that that proximity to to privilege and to power is something that's really hard to walk away from. And for us, it was like, no, like, we're not going to, we're not going to be in that space of re- respectability. We're not interested in that. Um, and I think we've continue continually for 10 years been like, what is the stand that no one else is willing to take? Well, let's just go there. Um, Not, not just to like stir shit up, but to say like, this is where, justice is, this is where liberation is found. Like it's time for us to push the conversation. And if we have to deal with death threats or hate messages, like that's part of the cost of working for liberation for your community.
1: So I think part of the difficulty is, you know, like if you're starting to change the, the way that you discuss something what you're really doing is is shifting the conversation towards a new away from this established uh, like system of power into a new like a whole new paradigm and like i feel like for me once i started realizing that i do not believe in the theology as i grew up in it you know or that i believe in a completely different paradigm I stopped being able to have easy conversations with anybody within that paradigm. It's like, I can't fight. I can't argue with you because it's going to be arguments based on your worldview that I don't share anymore. Yeah, And there's a sense of just complete loss and grief that I have in just feeling completely disconnected from people because we no longer speak the same language.
2: Yeah, I think that's yes. really real. <laughs> And I think that, that you're right that like, and I, and I think that this is why so often the conversations and the tools that were being handed are not actually effective because they're still mm-hmm. there. They either require us to enter back into the old paradigm that not only are we not in anymore, but frankly, like doesn't work and isn't a liberative paradigm Um or they ignore the fact that we're like speaking a different language because, and I think that it's coming from a place of, we want to believe that if we could just say the right things or offer the right argument or say it in the right way that like these people that we love and that we grew up with and that we invested our lives in will come around on this issue. Like it's coming from a, a really human community-driven place. It's coming from a desire to, like, be back in the fold of the churches that raised us and that shaped us and whose music we still love and whose way of being um, still has meaning to us. Like, I get it. And also, I think that you're right. The problem is it's not the same paradigm. There isn't a magic way of convincing people to leave the world that they are entrenched in, and especially if it's going to cost them something. Uh, and so so I think part of it is, for us as queer and trans folks, like finding somewhere to put our grief and finding a way to move through our grief and then not being held back by our grief. Um, that that mm. we we need to not allow our grief to keep us from liberation, right? I think that's the... And that's really hard, it's, and and there and it's not easy, right? There's no there's no like magic wand that you wave and you feel better. Um, and it's it's a I think it's a journey.
0: Yeah, a few years ago, Shane and I had a we had a digital magazine called Spit and Spirit, and each episode each issue was on sort of a different sort of set of contrasting themes, and one of them was journey and exile. Um, and like we would alternate back and forth on sort of like writing an intro to. The issue, and so for this issue, I was taking it, and I started by saying, like, "We don't really do dedications for this magazine, but like, I kind of want to dedicate it to the communities that we've come from." And I wrote this like little like letter dedication, thinking like holding up like the churches that I like used to be part of and the people that I've known. And I like I cried when I wrote it, and like a few years later, I was like reading it to someone for for a video, and I like cried again. And I think that like I really appreciate that you called it a grief, and I think it's so important to name that because like. I think like sometimes it comes out as like anger or, or like indifference. Um, and like there's like some sadness there. And, and there are tools to, to sort of like name and work through grief. Um, and like Shay was saying, like, you, <laughs> like the only way out is through. Um, and I think like we don't have to pretend that it doesn't exist, but also we don't have to be like held captive by it. And I think that. One of the things that we really believe at queertheology.com is that if you want, if you like, if you want to be Christian and you want to be part of Christianity, there's absolutely space for you and the fullness of your queerness and your gender and your body and your sexuality. And also, like, if it's not life giving, if it's hurtful, if it just doesn't resonate with you, like, that's also okay. Like, you don't have to stay to prove a point. You don't have to stay to escape hell. Like, you don't have to stay to like escape the wrath of any God, especially like not, not a God that you don't believe in. Right. And so like, if you want to leave, like we also want to support you and like leaving well and fully so that you're not like held captive um, by this like community or this belief system that you like used to be a part of. Um, like it's okay to, it's okay to let it go all the way.
1: I love that. I was reading. Um, if grace is true again, mm-hmm, by Quaker mm-hmm. pastor, Philip Gully,
2: And yeah. I mean,
1: I don't know. I, I've been using. I've been writing. Like, I have a chapter in my memoir about that book and what it did for me. And I'm thinking about him reading my memoir and being like, "I am associated with this." Oh crap! (laughs) But um, but he talks about like that. It's not really good news if you know you're bullied into something. Like that was not what the good news was supposed to be. All right, let's talk about the whole the justice or the liberation side of it and um. Do you both know Marcella Altos Reed? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I I figured. Um, so she's also showing up in my memoir, of course. <laughs> and <laughs> there's this whole underutilized, like theology of the erotic that she does really tap into, and I think that it goes so with like. The history of of queerness and homosexuality that like liberation is found in embracing one's body and other people's bodies in an unabashed, joyful way.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Shannon, you were talking about how, like holding space for people that are slutty or kinky or polyamorous. but like even people who are monogamous and, and not kinky, whatever you want to call it. I think if you're queer, you've still done some work to be like body positive and sex positive that shapes even your friendships. And Marcella was talking about that. She was saying friendship is always a sexed sexual encounter between sexual people. The problem is how do we label what is sex and what is not sex? And It feels to me like this is part of this theology of the erotic is being able to embrace each other and see each other as holy sexual beings, even when it's, we're not trying to get it on with each other.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I, I don't know, I kiss almost every one of my friends, like hello and goodbye in a platonic, in a very sort of like platonic way, but like physically affectionate way. And I like make out with like a significant number of my friends, like if we're out dancing. Um, and like for some of them, like we do more, but for some of them, it just ends at that. And I, like, I think that, like one of the beautiful things that like queer people have historically done is like figure out how to like embody like our whole bodies and to like, utilize the whole range of our vocal like of our vocal expressions Um, I saw I saw a TikTok like a year or two ago about like gay voice uh, and they were talking about how like the research shows it's actually not gay voice that it's actually straight voice that like like queer men and women and people of all genders sort of like use like the whole range of their like vocal capabilities and like straight cis men like restrict themselves to one portion of it and like straight cis women restrict themselves to another portion of it Um, and I was like oh yeah like heterosexuality is a performance also and like cisness is a performance also and i just sort of like really appreciate the ways that which queer people have historically like done that work to like figure out our bodies and reclaim our bodies and to be like to have affection for one another that sort of like energy that exists in queer spaces between friends and sometimes even strangers right like you like see a queer you like clock a queer person um like don't tell straight people but like we communicate our queerness using nonverbal ways also right and like that, like something happens or, like, there's like r- like a really amazing energy that happens there and i think that is super powerful and um like i think it's like also worth being called like holy and
2: sacred and i think for me there's also something about how queer folks understand the power of chosen connection and the depth of what it means to be family what it means to be friends and and I think that like for me I I don't want us to have to put other language around that um like I'm I'm seeing lots of people like saying like friendship isn't a strong enough um word or whatever and for me I want to be like no it's just that like We need to reclaim the fact that queer folks do friendship better, right? That queer Mm -hmm. folks do family better. That, like, we don't need to come up with new language. We just need to, like, claim the depth of what we already do and have. Um, And that, like, we always go back to this, that, like, queer and trans people... People need to learn from us because we've been doing this work, both of family making and friend making and meaning making around our bodies, but also like in our spirituality as well. Like it's all, it's all tied together. And there's, there's such unique insights that we have to bring to the world and to all of these conversations that people need to be really paying attention to.
0: Yeah, I remember the first time I was, I was reading Radical Love by Patrick Chang and in it, he like references Marcel Alphonse Reed talking about the Trinity as an orgy. And I was like, Oh my God, this is bananas. <laughs> um, this is amazing. And I was also thinking like one of my friends had recently been diagnosed with HIV and, um, like, uh, maybe like six months before that, like my partner had like run into him at a sex party and like he was just like, my, my partner was telling me like, he was like so awkward and uncomfortable and ashamed that he had been sort of like caught at mm-hmm. this sex party. Um, and like the ways in which like shame was like so much a part of his sex life and his like desire for group sex. And I was like, Oh my God, like, like if he could have just known that the sex parties, are also sacred, right? Like, what does it say about like him and those desires and those interests and those, those those activities and how, and I'm like, like he's like living and thriving, right? Like people with HIV live and thrive. And also I know that like for him, getting HIV positive, happened in a context that was like very shame filled for him. And I just like, wish that it wasn't so shame filled because like, those interests and those desires are like are good and holy also so i remember like reading. now i have to read like more about marcella alfos reed and i also was like i studied theology in at university and like this is like some dense stuff to get through and so like part of the work that we tried to do at queer theology is to sort of like take those ideas and like make them more accessible and constantly sort of like citing and quoting our sources who we get them from but also to recognize that like me and you and shay and marcella alfos reed aren't the only people who can like do make these sort of connections between like the sacred and the erotic. And so like, we want to help every queer person sort of like mind their own experiences to say like, what does like my unique experience of my body and of my sexuality and of my sex life, like have to say about the sacred and how might the sacred sort of like touch and transform that. And so we, you know, of course is like faithful sexuality and querying the Bible to sort of like walk people through that process. And I think that like, all of ours sort of like faith and spiritualities are enriched when like people bring their sort of like whole selves, including their sex lives to the conversation of faith. And also for people who have grown up who have been shamed for our bodies or for our sexualities or for our desires and interests that like naming and claiming them and saying like this thing that I'm doing right here is like holy, this like one night stand that I'm having, like there's, like, there's just like some like hospitality happening here. This like care and consideration that I'm showing for someone who's, I only know their first name and I've only met like six times. Like, I, like, I have taken better care of and then taken better care of the people whose last names I don't know than like pastors in my life. Right. Um, and so I think like really naming like this as sacred and this as holy this is good and this is beautiful, um, can also like be really deeply healing for us. I'm, like, if you want to think about like being naughty or being dirty in a sort of like a playful way, like, I, I'm not here to like, you here young, but I also think that like, Things that we traditionally call dirty can also, I think, just as easily be called like beautiful.
1: I think there's now all this work to do. I I feel like one thing that I have gone through over and over again is, you know, when I lost my references for what was right and wrong, you know, and I had to completely redo that for myself, there's hookup culture and various things have been like labeled as vapid and in some ways they can be when people don't enter it in with this sense of, you know, like nurture and care in mind, you know, it can result in a really like selfish behavior. Um, I mean, so can marriage, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but um it's and so like,
2: can your evangelical small group. Like, let's just be yeah, clear. Yeah, that- <laughs>
1: right. Good point. So I feel like one of the things that I'm like constantly thinking about and like trying to converse with people is like, how do we go beyond just like calling something sacred and joyful, which is the first step of moving beyond shame, but then enhance it, like learn how to like set. Good boundaries for ourselves and um, figure out what feels good and what doesn't feel good and like how we can talk about it with others when there's not really a societal framework around what makes good sexual encounters.
0: Oh man, I've been thinking about this a lot because a few years ago, um, I went to go hook up with someone that I had met on Grindr and he was like, if you were like going to do like a cliche of like a gay hook, like a gay desirable person, he was probably like six one. He was blonde. He was like muscular. He lived in a building in Chelsea with a doorman. Like I had to like check it in. Like, you know, he had like all this like fancy artwork and like, I had probably like fancy floors and like we started hooking up and I was like, Oh, I'm just like, not, into this and it was like this moment where it was like I definitely make less money than you I definitely have more body fat than you like I'm definitely like older than you you're like you're supposed to be the desirable one and I had this moment of like Oh, I'm not, I'm actually like not into this. And so like, I was, I went to the bathroom to go like collect myself. And so he's got fucking like heated tile floors. Of course he does <laughs> with like Aesop super fancy soap. And I was like, this is just too much. And I so was like, well, I went back and I like sort of psyched myself. I was like, I'm just going to go tell him that I'm going to leave. And so I went and I was like, Hey, I'm going to head out. And he was like, oh, oh, okay. And he was like already on grinder, like looking for the next hookup mm. in the sort of like very cliche, sort of like vapid way. And that, but I don't know what. I just like lingered a little bit longer. I don't know like what I said. Like I like I made a little bit of small talk as I was like putting my clothes on, and like something happened. And we like he shared about like growing up Christian and like going to like a Christian private school and like realizing he was gay and all of this shame. And I was like, (laughs) we're like this like really in depth like conversation. It was like so clear. Like oh, you're like wanting something more, but you like don't know how to Mm -hmm. access that and so you're like looking for it like via like anonymous sex with men and like i i've reclaimed that it like feels really fun for me but like i can i like it wasn't maybe that like all that experience for him and so like i think like being present in that moment and who knows if i changed his life or not but i was like really like i like found like that sort of interaction meaningful and so i like made it a point to like even when I'm like on a hookup app or even if I'm like cooking up with someone like that, I like don't know all that well to like, you're a person. If we have to like start from a level of respect and to like not feed in like with our words and how we are arranging the hookup ahead of time, it being like dirty or bad, like using positive language. when we talk about sex, like with the people that we're going to be having it with um, to like, not feel like we have to like come and then run away, but to sort of like, hold a little bit like hold a little bit of space just to like be human and be like yeah you just like spit on me but like now we're gonna like <laughs> like now we like now we're gonna interact with like two human peers and like i'm not ashamed of this thing that we just did and you don't have to be also and so like Oh my God. Now that I'm telling like queer Christians to go like be missionaries <laughs> in their hookups, but I, but I do, I do think that there is something there about like, if you can do that work yourself and then hold like just a little bit of space for someone else to like enter in that space with you. Um, almost like at, thinking about it like aftercare, honestly. Right. Um, and like some people are going to want to talk about it more than others. And some people are going to meet you there. And some people might take, you know, like, six hookups before they're finally, like, are able to, like, let go of that shame. But I think that, like, bringing that sort of, like, positive energy and, like, the way that you talk about your desires, the way that you talk about what you're doing, the sort of, like, decency and respect that you treat people with as you're navigating all of, like, the fun and flirty things that you want to do, like, can change the tenor. So it's not just, like... You don't have to, like, give into the sort of, like, sup, you up, like... (laughs) like kind of comes like my dick, by, you know, um, like you can still do that, but I think like there's sort of like a subtle energy that we can bring to art to like, to these encounters to sort of spread it. I'm, uh, oh, I always make mess this up shade, the pool and the, the, the urine and the wine.
2: Oh yeah. So Richard Beck, um, who writes about, um, discussed culture and talks about how, um, you know, there was this study done that, if there were like one drop of urine in a swimming pool of wine um, that most people would feel like it, it contaminates the whole pool where as like in reality, it, it probably doesn't. Um, and so Beck talks about this as um, often the message of Jesus in touching people, especially people who were considered contaminated or diseased is that Jesus had a healing impact that, that his presence was, was like a, a decontaminant in some way. Um, but that like part of our work is to figure out how we encounter and get over feelings of disgust. Um, and that was like, and that part part of that work is around like people and around sexuality. Beck, in my opinion, Beck doesn't go nearly far enough um, into queerness and into sex positivity, but like the basis of it, I think is really fascinating and interesting. Yeah. And so I think that there's like something there that like
0: we can then be those sort of like healing agents that like when we when we when we go into these like moments of like sex, like we can we don't have to like if there's like shame present rather than like that shame coming onto us. Actually, we can like have our positivity be the thing that is what transfers in those moments.
1: Yeah, I love that. I think a lot
2: of our work, too, is around especially helping folks that grew up in purity culture and um, are, are working through that to realize that the evangelical thing of like, once you leave evangelicalism, anything goes, it's like not actually true that we all know that we continue to have boundaries and it's consent and all of those things. And that, but that sometimes the process of, of figuring out what your own sexual ethics are and And what practices feel good to you, that like in the midst of that, you might do some things that you realize in hindsight or even in the moment don't feel great. And I think one of the things that Brian talks about all the time that has been really meaningful for me is that like you can have a bad experience. And that doesn't mean that it you did something bad, right? You can just like have not enjoyed that thing. And that might be a you didn't you don't enjoy that thing ever. It might be in this was not with the right person, but like, we don't have to read more shame or trauma into that, but that can be a data point in like figuring out our own stuff. And like, as long as we're being consensual and communicative with people, like this idea that, that like, I don't know if you don't have evangelical morality that you're going to go out and, rampage and pillage I think says a lot more about evangelicals than it does about queer and trans folks
0: oh yeah I think that queer atheists have like a way like stronger sexual ethic than like straight Christians like in general
1: yeah but two things I want to acknowledge first of all that our sexual scripts um even or particularly outside the the church are still like rooted in patriarchy rooted in mm-hmm, colonialism mm-hmm. and so on. So like when the scripts that we use for hooking up the scripts that we use for like relationship elevate escalator elevators, all of it, it's yeah. still stuff to be deconditioned. It's not just people who grew up in purity culture that are like doing this work. Um, and then the other thing is I I do want to acknowledge that I think that there are amazing sex positive communities that are doing the work around like, what are ethics that we can follow to have better holistic sexual encounters? And I feel like a lot of my own sense of what's right and wrong now has been like taught to me through <laughs> sex parties and like BDSM workshops more so than it has been the church that is happening. Mm-hmm. I still don't mm-hmm. know how to equate those to people that I meet on Tinder yet, you know, because it, it's like, <laughs> Once it's once again, two different paradigms, you know, and it's like, do I even try to teach someone this paradigm? Do I just sort of give up because I need to fuck? (laughs) Like it's, it's a whole thing, but I, I do love the idea, Brian, of opening up space. Like even if you're still following that script that they're comfortable with, that honestly sometimes Like I'm comfortable with because it's how I learned how to have sex to begin with. And sometimes it sucks to just constantly be in this state of renovation, even in just those small moments, like opening up to be more vulnerable when the script doesn't allow for vulnerability is like small change, right? Yeah, absolutely. What did I not ask about? What's on your mind, both of you? What are you excited about? Anything.
0: Well, Shay wrote this really incredible book called In the Margins that is like part memoir, part Bible study and really gets into a lot of like purity culture and body stuff. Um, And I've like known Shay for, I don't know, 15 years, probably at least we've been working together for 10 years. Uh, and also as I was reading it, I was like underlining stuff and having like new revelations and I was like, Oh my God, I've, there's like still more to learn from you all of these years later. This is so incredible. And so like, I think if you're trans or if you know someone who's trans or if you're Christian or if you know someone who's Christian or like if you like have had sex in like America or Canada or most of the world, really like you will <laughs> probably get something out of this book. Um, I just like, I found it, I found it like super, super, uh, like meaningful
2: for like for me.
1: Nice. I will put a link to it in the comments. And while we're at it, tell me about Sanctuary Collective.
2: Yeah. So Sanctuary Collective is our online community. It gives you access to both all of the courses and resources that we've created over the last decade, um, but also a dedicated um, Slack channel that has conversations Uh, it's got over 400 people from all over the world, like literally all over the world. So someone is always up and, (laughs) and starting conversations. And it's both like a place to have conversations about the Bible and spirituality, but also a place to talk about pop culture and what podcasts you're listening to and what movies you like and what books you're reading. Um, but also a place to ask for support and say, you know, this is what's going on with me, um. It's folks who are everything from, like, grew up evangelical and now are leaving Christianity altogether to folks who grew up atheist and have converted to Christianity as adults to people who are like, I don't really know what I am. I'm, like, on some kind of journey, and it feels important that spirituality be part of it. So it's really, like... We run the gamut of religious experience and practice um, and upbringing, tons of trans folks and non-binary folks, queer folks of all stripes, poly folks, um, kink supportive, like all of all of those things. And we do worship experiences on Zoom occasionally uh, for folks who are interested in that kind of other ways to connect, quote unquote, face to face with as technology allows um it's it's been a really beautiful community to be a part of yeah
1: all right i I think that's all i've got for you thank you so much again this has been great and thank you for the work that you do i'm i'm glad that the community is growing and that you're still going strong after 10 years
0: (laughs) yeah thank you for having us it was great talking with you. you